The Romans and Jews did not kill Jesus. He gave up his life as a sacrifice, a fulfillment of prophecy, to break the hold of sin and death for eternity, so you might live. He was bruised and beaten, pierced for our transgressions, mocked and humiliated, rejected by man and God. A fulfillment of prophecy for eternity, so you might live. On that cross he hung, with one last breath he gave up his life. A fulfillment of prophecy, so you might live. Death could not hold him and sin could not bind him. He rose victorious on the third day as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Eternal Savior and Righteous Lamb, Everlasting Father, Blessed Redeemer, Resurrection and Life. A fulfillment of prophecy for eternity so you might live. And when he returns, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Death could not hold you, the veil tore me. 
may be seated. Welcome everyone to Easter Sunday here at First Baptist Church Pineville. It's great to see all of you here today. Can we just give the Lord a hand for what He did on this day 2,000 years ago? Thank you, Lord. We give praise to Him today for He does have that beautiful name that is above every name. And aren't you glad that there's coming a day when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth because Jesus is Lord. Amen. We're going to celebrate Jesus as Lord today with a lot of great music. So sing out loud and strong. We get to celebrate baptisms today. And of course, we're going to encounter his word. And our prayer is that today you would leave here today completely devoted to Jesus Christ. If you're already a believer in Christ, I pray that you leave here today as fired up as the disciples were when they finally figured out what had really happened 2,000 years ago. And if you've yet to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you. And so we're going to pray that the Lord would move in our time together. Those of you who are joining us for the first time, one of the things that we did when we renovated this building is we added kneelers in our pews on the ground level. That's kind of different for a Baptist church, but it's because we prioritize prayer. It's not a formal thing. It's not a, a high church thing. It's just the fact of getting into the posture of kneeling before God in prayer is something special. So those of you on the ground level, I'd invite you to join me in kneeling as we pray together. Those of you in the balcony can either go into the aisles and kneel or you can just make your lap, your altar as we go to the Lord this morning. Father God, we come before you today and we are so grateful for this day when we can come and we can celebrate who you are, we can celebrate how much you did for us, we can celebrate, Lord, all that uh, you've blessed us with. And so today as we celebrate the resurrection, we pray, God, that we would see you do exceedingly beyond what we could ask or imagine. Lord, speak to our hearts, change our hearts. Lord, the resurrection should change us. And so we pray, Lord, that it would change us today. May your word, though we know the story, be fresh and anew. May you speak to us individually as only you can by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that distractions would be eliminated and that you would be supreme. We give you this day asking you, Lord, to move in it, to glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are our guest today, we're so thankful that you are here and uh, in your worship guide, there is a blue communication card. I hope that sometime during the service, probably during the sermon, you'll take a moment to fill that out and give us your information. We want to follow up with you. Also, if you have a prayer request, you can put that on the back of that communication card. We pray for those each week in staff meeting. If it's not marked confidential, we share it with the church and uh, we want to be in prayer for you. So... Fill that out. Hold on to it. We'll collect those at the end of the service today. Let's continue worshiping on this great Resurrection Sunday. There's a reason I can see there's a reason for this life inside me. One name above all names. 
Yes, it's Jesus. There's a reason for this hope. There's this reason for this peace that I know. One worthy of all praise. Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus. I will lift my hands up. I will raise my voice high. I will shout on your love till the day that I die. Everything that I have, all my worship I bring. You're the reason I live. You're the reason I sing. You're the reason I live. You're the
We have the blessed opportunity today to have two baptisms here on Resurrection Sunday, and I can't think of a better day to be saved or a better day to be baptized than Easter Sunday. When these families asked if they could have their baptism on Easter, we said, absolutely. What a great testimony this is to celebrate with Hayden Toll and Drew Knapp in their baptisms this morning. First, we have come in Hayden Toll. Hayden, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother in Christ, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. And this is Drew Knapp. Isn't it great to see youth being baptized today? Hallelujah. Drew, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my brother in Christ, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord good praise as we continue to worship today. Christ the Lord is risen today. Let's stand and sing this great hymn of our faith today. Oh, 
Lord. Praise the Lord. He is our blessed Messiah today. You may be seated. born to this world through a virgin it was told that way centuries before he opened the entrance of heaven so strangers could pass through his doors and few men would listen and less would believe and invisible
Oh, praise the name. We sing his glory today. Jesus is alive. The cross is empty. And the tomb is empty as well. I don't know about you, but that gives me cause to praise the Lord today in fullness of voice. Would you sing with us? Oh, praise the name. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed Body bound and 
Let us pray. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us today. May we celebrate of the resurrection life, bring new hope to our being. May the victory over earthly death turn your eyes to the promise of heaven. May the empty tomb help you leave your sorrows at the foot of the cross. May this Easter Sunday be blessed as we gather to celebrate together. May your love be shared among us as we enjoy the gift of fellowship. May we remember to give out of the grace and forgiveness that you have freely given us so that God's hope, promises, and forgiveness reign in your life forever. And may we always give thanks for your sacrificial love. Amen.
Give the Lord praise one more time for that. Yes. Amen. We sing hallelujah. I almost went Pentecostal there during that song there for a minute. That's what Easter is all about. Because of the resurrection, we sing hallelujah, a song of praise and worship to the Lord. And we celebrate today because we know the story. We know that the tomb is empty, but there's an important question that all of us must answer today, and that is this, have I been changed by the story? Have I been changed by the story? Lord Jesus, I pray that in these moments, you'll speak to our hearts. Lord, we've celebrated the story. God, may in these moments we be changed by the story. Speak clearly, eliminate distractions, so that we might hear your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As you know, not only is today Easter, but it's also April Fool's Day. 
Some interesting trivia about that. The last time April Fool's Day fell on Easter was in 1956. And the next time it'll happen is in 2029. So you only get to do this two or three times in a lifetime. April Fool's Day, of course, is known for its pranks. And about 40% of Americans plan to pull some kind of prank today. And they'll tick off another 11% of Americans who hate this day. Since the dawn of social media, Facebook and other platforms have become the place for some major jokes. In fact, uh, over the last few years, I've fallen for some of these April Fool's news breaks by some of my friends, and only to be duped by the end of the day when I looked at the date and went, ah. So now I just assume that all news on April 1st is fake news. Speaking of news, one of the most widespread April Fool's jokes in history happened in 1957. Anybody was around in 1957? You don't want to admit it, do you? In 1957, a BBC news program aired a report about the spaghetti harvest in Switzerland. In 1950s Britain, you couldn't go down to the grocery store and buy your box of pasta. It was, uh, not, it was a delicacy. People didn't know much about it. And so imagine watching the news, a serious news program on April 1st, 1957, not having a clue what spaghetti is and seeing this news report. It isn't only in Britain that spring this year has taken everyone by surprise. Here, in the Ticino, on the borders of Switzerland and Italy, the slopes overlooking Lake Lugano have already burst into flower, at least a fortnight earlier than usual. But what, you may ask, has the early and welcome arrival of bees and blossom to do with food? Well, it's simply that the past winter, one of the mildest in living memory, has had its effect in other ways as well. Most important of all, it's resulted in an exceptionally heavy spaghetti crop. The last two weeks of March are an anxious time for the spaghetti farmer. There's always the chance of a late frost, which, while not entirely ruining the crop, generally impairs the flavor and makes it difficult for him to obtain top prices in world markets. But now these dangers are over and the spaghetti harvest goes forward. Spaghetti cultivation here in Switzerland is not, of course, carried out on anything like the tremendous scale of the Italian industry. Many of you, I'm sure, will have seen pictures of the vast spaghetti plantations in the Po Valley. For the Swiss, however, it tends to be more of a family affair. Another reason why this may be a bumper year lies in the virtual disappearance of the spaghetti weevil, the tiny creature whose depredations have caused much concern in the past. After picking, the spaghetti is laid out to dry in the warm alpine sun. Many people are often puzzled by the fact that spaghetti is produced at such uniform length. But this is the result of many years of patient endeavor by plant breeders who've succeeded in producing the perfect spaghetti. And now the harvest is marked by a traditional meal. Toasts to the new crop are drunk in these boccalinos. And then the waiters enter bearing the ceremonial dish. And it is, of course, spaghetti. Picked earlier in the day, dried in the sun, and so brought fresh from garden to table at the very peak of condition. For those who love this dish, 
there's nothing like real homegrown spaghetti. <laughs> the next day, hundreds of people called the BBC asking how they might get their own spaghetti tree. <laughs> and the BBC reportedly said, place a, spig of, a sprig of spaghetti in a can of tomato sauce and hope for the best. <laughs> when I first saw that Easter fell on April 1st this year, I, I thought, if the resurrection had actually happened on April 1st, God would have pulled off the best April Fool's joke ever. I mean, think about it. Everyone thought Jesus was dead. But on Sunday morning, he was alive. Isn't that cool? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the resurrection was no joke. For it to have been a joke, Jesus would have had to fake his death and then to have said, gotcha, on Easter Sunday morning. But that's not what happened. In fact, the people didn't think Jesus was dead. They knew he was dead. The Roman soldiers who were trained in executions knew when someone was dead. And Jesus was dead. The disciples had known him when he was very much alive. And now they knew that he was most certainly dead. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, educated men who... Uh, took Jesus' body, wrapped it in grave clothes, placed it in the tomb. They knew Jesus was dead. Everyone not only thought Jesus was dead, they knew he was dead. And that's what made the findings of that first resurrection morning so odd. Our text this morning is John chapter 20, and I'd hope that you're there in your copy of God's Word. If not, you'll get there, or if you don't have your copy of God's Word this morning, you can take that Bible that's in the pew rack in front of you, and it's found on page 768 of that Bible. And here we encounter Jesus' account of the resurrection, and John looks at the resurrection through the eyes of several different people. Mary Magdalene, a friend and follower of Jesus, Peter and John, two of the closest disciples, the rest of the apostles, minus Judas, and then Thomas, another apostle. And each person begins their encounter of the resurrection with difficulty. Let's consider first the story of Mary Magdalene. Look in chapter 20, verses 1 and following. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed, though they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Think about how you might have felt 
If a couple of days after you buried a loved one, you returned to the cemetery to bring some fresh flowers, and when you arrived, you found the gravesite dug up, the casket sitting up on the ground, the lid open, and everything perfectly in place otherwise. What would you think? It would create a degree of difficulty, don't you think? And sure it would, and and it did for Mary, and that difficulty led to a deep despair. When Mary saw the empty tomb, she stood there weeping. Though she had cried every tear she thought was possible, she found more in that moment. And the tears flowed not so much from grief now as from anxiety and frustration over what had happened to Jesus' body. They've taken the body of the Lord, and we don't know what they've done with it. And that question led Mary to a a time of despair of thinking, what do we do now? And why would anyone want to do such a thing in the first place? And so she just stood there weeping and crying and mourning in her despair. But let's continue following her story. Does she stay there? Does she just stay there crying forever? Well, As verse 11 begins, it says, As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was him. Woman, he said, Why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary decides to take another look into the tomb, one of those, am I really seeing what I think I'm seeing kind of looks. And when she looks back into the tomb, she sees those two angels who ask her what she's doing there, and, and she tells them, and then she hears a voice behind her, and she tells him the same thing when he asks, and then she finds out it's Jesus. And did you notice what changed everything for her? Though she was in deepest despair, it was when Jesus spoke her name, Mary. When she heard his voice with her name attached, a thousand memories flooded her mind. His graciousness towards her. His teaching that she just could never quite get enough of. And in that split second when his voice invaded her ears and the memories flooded her mind, she opened those puffy, bloodshot eyes to see that man standing there before her was Jesus himself. And she cried out, Rabboni! No doubt falling on her knees before him, probably hugging him, grabbing him, tears flowing even more now, but not out of despair, but out of full and complete joy for her despair had now become delight. Ah, Rabboni. So what did Mary do? She becomes the first evangelist in the history of Christianity. 
You see what Jesus told her to do? And then in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Her delight becomes devotion. Mary's difficulty led to despair. The despair ended in delight. And then her delight transformed into devotion. What about Peter and John? Well, they too begin with difficulty. When Mary tells them the tomb is empty, they both run to the tomb. We saw that. And and their running was more to see what had happened rather than it was excitement for what had happened. Because Peter and John didn't expect a resurrection any more than Mary did. They just wanted to see what was going on. And so they arrive at the tomb and they enter like investigators. Do you notice how they look at the evidence? They notice what's there and what's not there. This Burial clothes here are still there. And that's interesting because if someone was going to steal the body, especially one that had been so brutally beaten as Jesus's, wouldn't you want to keep it wrapped up when you moved it? And then they find that the covering for his head had been taken off and folded up and left. Why would someone stealing the body take the time to do that? Something else must have happened, but what? Peter notes the evidence, but he doesn't make any deductions. He leaves pondering the situation, and he remains in a state of difficulty. John, however, goes a step farther. When he enters the tomb, he sees the evidence, the linens remaining, the head wrapped neatly folded, and he makes a deduction from that. The linens are still there because the body no longer needs to be wrapped, and the head wrap is there. Because a dead man's head no longer needs to be covered. John believed something more had taken place. The body had not been stolen. Something else had happened. And the only logical yet illogical explanation is there must have been a resurrection. But there's still difficulty in all that. And since John's the one telling us the story, he gives a little side note. He says, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. But as John sees that evidence, a tsunami of teaching washed over him and something about a resurrection, and John couldn't remember it all. He didn't understand everything, but he knew Jesus had said something about it at some point, and he believes a resurrection had occurred. Well, Peter and John's story doesn't end at the tomb. John tells us they went back to their homes, and then later that day they joined the other disciples. And by that time, Mary had told everybody her news. And Peter and John had been able to tell them what they had seen and what they had experienced. But the larger group of disciples, when they hear the news, they were still in a state of difficulty. Look at verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews... For the disciples, this difficulty had led to distress. It's interesting. Peter, the leader, and John, the beloved, had seen the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene had seen the empty tomb and had met Jesus. But none of their stories had much effect on the disciples. The the disciples aren't high-fiving one another and saying, Christ the Lord is risen today, hallelujah. None of them are doing that. 
They're not celebrating. They're not rejoicing. Instead, there is so much distress that they're hunkered down, locked up, and scared to death of what might happen to them next for being followers of Jesus. The trauma of the crucifixion was just too great to get over with merely a story about an empty tomb and even a woman claiming to see Jesus. And so the disciples remain in distress. That is until peace enters the room. In verse 19 we say, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. When they see Jesus, the disciples move from distress to delight. And Jesus grants them a peace, a peace that they so desperately needed. And and then he calls them to go forth and share the good news. In verses 21 and 22, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. But there was one apostle who was absent that day. Verse 24, now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And we don't know where Thomas was when Jesus first appeared. Maybe he was dealing with his grief in private. But wherever he was, can you imagine being Thomas when the disciples said, we have seen the Lord? I mean, you can't help but kind of identify and say, okay, I get it. I don't think I'd buy it either. Guys, you're just delusional. How how are you thinking about this? So I'm going to have to see it for myself. Thomas is met with a real crisis of belief, and his response is, I'll have to see it for myself When Thomas hears of the resurrection, he moves immediately from difficulty to doubt. For Thomas, the evidence for Jesus' death was just too strong to ever believe that anyone could come back from that. Thomas watched it happen. And to believe that, that Jesus was alive, Thomas would have to see Jesus. Even more, Thomas would have to touch Jesus. Well, Thomas would have to wait a a full week for that opportunity. While everybody else was in a state of delight, Thomas, for a solid week, remained in a state of doubt. And don't you know that was a long and difficult week for Thomas? But it all changed when Jesus showed up again. Look at verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. When Jesus said, peace be with you, everyone in that room had total peace. In fact, I believe that when Thomas heard that greeting The same things happened to him that had happened to everyone else when Jesus spoke. I think in that moment, 
He believed and he didn't need to touch Jesus or even see any more of Jesus. But Jesus still wasted no time in engaging Thomas. And he said, go ahead, Thomas. Do exactly as you, you said. Here, here are my hands. Put, put your finger here. Here's my side. Put, put your hand here. What I want you to do, Thomas, is to stop doubting and start believing. But Thomas didn't need to touch Jesus anymore. Because, you see, he'd been touched by Jesus. And so he moves from doubt to delight. My Lord and my God. Thomas joined the disciples who were commissioned to go into the world and spread the good news of Jesus. You know, we know what happened to all those guys as they went off in the years to come, don't we? Just like Mary Magdalene, they moved from delight to devotion. Though most of the disciples sold out Jesus on the night of the crucifixion, after the resurrection, they were all sold out for Jesus. Not a single one of them ever doubted him again. In fact, they lived for him every day. They lived their lives completely devoted to him, and their stories are amazing. Their stories challenge us. We don't know what eventually happened to Mary Magdalene, but tradition tells us what happened to the disciples. Would you like to know what happened to the three men we've mentioned? Peter, John, and Thomas. In fact, above me we have 12 plaques, and 10 of them represent 10 of the apostles, and one of them represents John the Baptist, and one represents the apostle Paul. But Peter is this first plaque down here, and you'll see that there's a cross and some keys the cross symbolizes the way Peter died for the, pay, for the faith. Actually, he died on an upside-down cross because he didn't feel he was worthy to die in the same way as his Lord. John is represented by the third plaque, the one that's got the scroll there. You'll notice that one doesn't have any kind of death instrument attached to it because John is one of the few Apostles who didn't die a martyr's death, though he did face great persecution. He was even sentenced to be uh, killed by boiling oil at one point, but he escaped miraculously. But John was able to live into rather old age, serving the church at Ephesus. And of course, he gave us this gospel. He gave us First, Second, and Third John, his letters, and also the Book of Revelation. So his symbol is a scroll because of the scripture he gave us. Faithful to the end. Thomas is the eighth from the left. It's this one right up here that's got the carpenter's square, a dagger, and a bunch of arrows. Tradition tells us that Thomas went to India and with his own hands built a church there, hence the carpenter's square. And then as he got into trouble with the pagans there, he was shot to death with arrows probably stoned after that, and then as he was dying, a pagan priest jabbed a spear into him. I think Thomas got over the doubting. What about you? These guys were faithful to the end. Each of these people we've encountered made some difficult progress. They began with great difficulty. I know Jesus is dead, but the tomb is empty. They then moved to a different place. Mary moved to despair. They've taken the body of the Lord. We don't know what, he's done, what they've done with them. The disciples moved to distress. They were scared out of their wits what was going to happen to them. 
And Thomas moved to doubt. Unless I see for myself and touch for myself, I won't believe. But every last one of them, when they met the resurrected Jesus, moved to delight. They had uncontainable joy. They knew he had been dead, but now he was alive. But they didn't stop there. Their delight led them to devotion, and their lives were forever changed by what they had encountered. And so I want you to take a note at that process that they've gone through. From difficulty of despair, distress, and doubt to delight and then to devotion. I doubt any of you came here today with the difficulty, what happened to Jesus' body? None of you came in here crying like Mary. None of you came running in here, except some kids like Peter and John. And none of you wanted to touch Jesus' wounds like Thomas. But you may have come with some difficulty. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a, a fear or a loss or a hurt or some kind of anxiety. But you came in here with a difficulty. And that difficulty has led you to despair or distress or doubt. Your difficulty's rough. It's doing to you the same things that... Jesus' disappeared body did to Mary and the apostles. You've cried your eyes out like Mary or allowed your anxiety to lock you up like the disciples or you've gotten so upset that you doubt God is even there like Thomas. But if you believe the story of the resurrection, do you know that it can do some pretty amazing things for you? Because it can change your despair to delight. It can change your distress to delight. It can change your doubt to delight. Life won't necessarily be perfect and easy. Things didn't go perfect and easy for all these guys. But it can be blessed as the Lord is with you. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, Jesus can speak your name in that situation in such a way that makes you know that he is very much alive in your situation just as he did for Mary. No matter how scared you are, Jesus can speak peace into your life just as he did into that room of freaked out disciples. And no matter how much doubt is in your life, Jesus can speak confidence into your life as he did into Thomas's. When he does... No matter where you are right now, you will delight. You will delight in him. You say, well, well Pastor, how, how in the world will I know? The same way Mary knew, the apostles knew. You'll just know. When Jesus shows up, you just know, don't you, choir? When Jesus touches you, you just know. But as great as that delight in Jesus is, that delight will be short-lived if you stop there. Do you know the only way you can have complete delight is to have devotion to Christ? Devotion to the Lord, to give your life completely and totally to Him. It's one thing to say, He is risen and delight in it and it's wonderful and forever He is glorified and it's wonderful. But it is a completely another thing to be devoted to that case as well. We might even say that to say he is risen and not live it 
is to live as a fool. To say he is risen and to not live as if he is, is to live as a fool. In some ways, every Easter Sunday is a fool's day, whether it happens on April 1st or not. Why? Because churches are full of people who say, He is risen! But so few of us truly live as if He really is. So many of us live as if He hasn't changed anything about us. So here's what I want you to hear today. The resurrection wasn't a joke. So don't live a joke. The resurrection wasn't a joke. So don't live a joke. If you've come today believing he is risen, then don't linger in your difficulty. Don't languish in despair and distress or doubt. Delight yourself in the living Lord Jesus and be devoted to him. That means for those of us who are already followers of Jesus Christ, that we go from this place not just delighted and happy that it's Easter Sunday, but we go from this place devoted, living for Jesus like all of the people who've gone before us, like Mary Magdalene, like Peter, like John, like Thomas, and like all of those other apostles. That we become devoted to him, that we live for Jesus in our homes and in, at work and in social media and everywhere we go, that we grow in him every single day. And for those of us who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ, it means that we follow him today. That we say, he does live. And I want him to live in me. I want to take part in that amazing life that can totally transform a lady in utmost despair to an evangelist. A bunch of weak need, wuss disciples into champions for Christ. I want that. I want that kind of power in me. And it comes when you come before Jesus and you say, Lord, I'm done. I can't do this on my own. Lord, I need you in my life. And so, Lord Jesus, I know that, that I'm a, a sinner and I know that that you died on the cross for my sins and how that all works, I don't understand it. But what I know is I need you. I need you to forgive me of my sins and I need you to pour your life into me. And you can do that right here this morning. Simply by trusting in him and saying, Lord, I need you. There's not any fancy words you don't have to pray with a bunch of these and thous and where art thou stuff. You just speak to God. Say, Lord, I need you. Forgive my sin. Transform my life. And when you do, and you mean it, you'll know it. He makes a difference. We want to give you that opportunity to trust Jesus Christ today and I know that we're all going to family gatherings and things like that, but I'd ask that everyone stay through the time of invitation so that there's not any distractions. We're going to sing a great song of resurrection and, and worship. And if the Lord hasn't uh, moved you to make a public profession of faith or a public decision, that's fine. Just worship where you are. But if he has stirred in your heart 
to trust him as your Lord and Savior, then I'm going to be down front. And all you do is say, Pastor, I'm praying to trust Jesus today. I am following him today. It may be also that, that you want to come and be a part of this church family and unite your life with this church, and I'd encourage you to do that today. Or maybe you've, you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've never been baptized like Hayden and Drew were. You're, maybe you were baptized earlier on in life, and you say, you know what, I, I wasn't saved when that happened. But I know now that I've truly trusted in Jesus Christ, and I need to get my baptism on the right side of my salvation. Because you see, baptism is believer's baptism. So you may come and have that today. But whatever it is that the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning, this is a time of doing business with God and seeking his face. So may we pray together as we prepare for this time of invitation. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of the resurrection, which though we hear it every Easter Sunday, it never gets old. And Lord, I pray that in this moment you are speaking to people's lives. And for those who have yet to trust you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that in this moment they would simply ask you to come into their life and forgive them of their sins. Lord, that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they would be buried and raised in a new way. Speak to their hearts and help them to make that decision today. I pray, Lord, that you would move in this moment. Holy Spirit, you are free to speak to our hearts now. And may we do business with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.